You're listening to Founders On Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum. This podcast is sponsored by Zoom to You, Australia's on-demand courier marketplace. Get your parcels delivered within hours rather than days. Today we have a good friend of mine, Adam Stone, founder and CEO at Speedlancer, joining us all the way from Melbourne. Hey, Adam, welcome to the program. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Mike. And you and just speak. landed from uh, LA. We'll talk a bit about that in a moment. But um, just to give a bit of context to today's episode, Steve and I were sort of racking our brains thinking, look, with all the, you know, the stuff going on at the moment with COVID-19, how can we be helpful? And we really had to think about it. And what we thought was, you know, a lot of us are now working remotely. So excuse any background noise today. We're all working from home. We've got kids in the background and things like that. Uh, we'll try and edit out as best we can. But we thought, who could we speak to that is an expert in this field and really understands the remote working, you know, best practices? So without further ado, um, Adam, uh, let, let's, let's kick it off. What do you do when you're, when you're not busy running Speedlancer? When I'm not busy running Speedlancer, I am probably thinking about running Speedlancer. <laughs> As any good <laughs> entrepreneur <laughs> who works, who has the uh, great pleasure of working on their, on their hobby for a living. You know, I believe in the, in the future of work and all that stuff. But, you know, on a more personal level, I guess, gym, living in LA, socializing, all the normal kind of stuff. <laughs> I've actually more recently gotten into kind of doing some little equity investments on the side, like, you know, sh- standard share market type stuff. And I've been enjoying doing that mostly as a hobby more than any- anything. But it's, I think, earning money from doing nothing, <laughs> even if I fluked it only a couple of times it's kind of addictive so i'll probably learn my lesson and lose any of the money that i've just earned but <laughs> that's a, a fun little hobby that i've discovered cool that's, that that sounds good you have to tell us more about that a bit later uh, <laughs> but um you know like you said you've spent a chunk of time living and building your startup in the u.s a couple of different cities can you tell us a bit about that experience and you know would you recommend that to to other founders, um, Aussie founders, uh, maybe some tips about, you know, setting up in the US? Um, and we'll talk a bit about Speedlancer in a minute too. Yeah, absolutely. So I've lived in, I've properly lived in at least five cities in my life. I, you know, over a, six months, I call a live and then another couple of cities for, for less than six months. And, and I've been traveling and that sort of thing, especially during uni, which <laughs> Steve asked me why I stopped doing law school. And that would have been the primary reason <laughs> because they, they stopped. They said, if, you, if you're not going to enroll this semester, then you can't continue law and they wouldn't let me study online. But I guess I seek different cities for different needs, either personal or business related, preferably business related. Uh, so I lived in Brisbane for the government grant program over there, San Francisco when we, when we launched 500 startups. I only moved back from San Francisco to Australia because of visa issues. Los Angeles for me was a good balance, uh, which is what I needed in my life uh, when I realized that running a startup was actually a marathon and not really a sprint. So LA has been a great balance for me lifestyle-wise, but also being in the proximity of my team, so time zone-wise, and also near investors and near San Francisco and near potential partners for the business. So yeah, that's kind of why I've been shifting around. But more recently, I've just found that I've needed to stay in one location. And LA is great also because it's one direct flight from Melbourne, which in times of crazy global disasters, it's nice to be able to fly back immediately if I need to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so 
with 500 startups, was that the, that was your sort of foray into the US? And tell us a bit about that, that experience. Yeah, so I had come into 500 startups as the second youngest founder to ever go through at the time. The, the first youngest, Tim Che, is now actually the general partner of 500, which is cool. And I was, I think, 20 years old. So that was pretty wild. I mean, I met Dave McClure, of course, the founder, uh, when he was in Sydney, actually. I think that was the same time that you and I had met, Mike. Yeah, the same right. event, actually, which is yeah, quite about funny. Five or six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And Dave ended up coming up to me and he said, so how do I invest? And I said, what do you mean? I'm studying in law. You know, I can't just pick up and leave. When is your batch? He says, it's, we're starting in two weeks. I said, what about next year? He said, no, that's not going to work. Uh, so the next day I came back to him and I said, you know what, I'm going to take your original offer. He said, I don't know if it's open anymore. You should have said yes the first time. He said, but what I can do is guarantee an interview for you. So he kindly gave me an interview and I ended up getting in, moved to San Francisco two weeks later, lived in a hacker hostel with 42 people, half billionaire there who lived in this, this is a crazy place. I don't know why anyone would want to live there full time. <laughs> but yeah, just met every eccentric type. And what I learned in 500 was sort of the startup hustle. I'd had an e-commerce business before, which kind of got lucky in a niche. And I had this vision for Speedlancer, or kind of barely. It was more like a side project for me. And the vision actually kind of developed as I went. And I realized, you know, I was just seeing other people just hustling so hard. And of course, 95% of the batch is no longer alive. You know, their hustle may have burnt them out or they just burnt through investor cash due to being inefficient. But the last 5%, I invested in one of the companies. Another one has now raised 25 or $35 million. You know, so I, just an amazing experience to see from the ground up what it takes to build a startup in the US. And that was mind-opening for me. Came in thinking I knew everything and left knowing I knew absolutely nothing about anything. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Amazing. And, and apart from... Sorry, go, Steve. I was just going to say, and so t tell us a little bit about what, what Speedlancer is and, and sort of who, you, who uses it. Yeah, so Speedlancer came out of the vision that I had when dealing with freelancers in my, again, previous business. And what I noticed was that basically when I was, uh, I think it was 18, I got a letter from Odesk, which merged with Elance to become Upwork, telling me I was in the top 10% of users by spend. And sure, I was using freelancers for everything in that business, um, customer support, development, enterprise customer support, and uh, translation services. Uh, I was using Fiverr every week. I remember I gave myself a Fiverr budget, which I loved because I just spent money on growth of like, you know, SEO and content and Yahoo answers stuff back in the, you know, it was a, a little bit easier there to, to trick Google into ranking you. But I, I had realized that real businesses were not successfully using freelancers like I knew that they could. And that's when I set out to start Speedlancer. And so the vision is uh, to create an efficiency and a complexity that hasn't really been done before with freelancers. Freelancers are quite unreliable. They're often not a cultural fit. They're dealing with multiple clients at once. You're probably not going to be their favorite client just because if they're dealing with five or 10, the chances are someone else is going to be spending more than you or being a better client and so on. And so the vision behind Speedlancer really is to, A, eliminate the hiring and picking and choosing process, which takes three to 14 days on other platforms. And we successfully did that uh, a few years ago. And then we introduced a complexity, which is uh, a complexity layer, which is a workflow system. So we actually sell predefined workflows of freelancers, say content marketing team, as we call it, with strategists, researchers, writers, designers, illustrators, animators, infographics, you know, and so on. And we collaborate now a team of talent on the fly involving 
half a dozen or a dozen freelancers, adding it, adding them automatically into your Slack team, uh, into a Slack channel, and adding them, removing the freelancers automatically. So we're trying to give a kind of an agency-esque experience, but we're streaming the talent or giving the talent directly to you without the middle layer. So that's the broad gist of what we do. Yeah, okay, cool. And, and the types of clients that are using this? Uh, I'd say half of our clients are agencies, actually. Um, mm-hmm. We've got some agency plans and they use us to help them deliver work on behalf of their clients. Of course, the agency gets to focus on strategy and all that stuff. We just help them execute so their clients don't tend to really mind. Although we don't get too many agency testimonials because they say that we are their secret source, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which kind of sucks. But more recently with the uh, introduction of the five team plans that you see on the website, like the content team and the virtual assistant team and all that stuff, uh, actually direct businesses have been starting to use us more, which is nicer for me from a storytelling perspective because I can actually share real client stories. Yeah, quick. Uh, yeah. Cool. And, and how quickly can someone get up and running and to start using? Well, so they would purchase plan from us and then we start assembling the team on the fly. So the first, each task normally takes about five to 60 minutes to allocate someone as opposed to that three to 14 days. Wow. And of course, if you don't like the person, you just click thumbs down in Slack or you talk to your concierge and we guarantee you all the outputs. If you're just not happy, we, we replace the work. But yeah, you can get started certainly within the day. Someone will start working. Yeah, right. That's awesome. And, so, and how big is that pool of people that you've got available? We've got about 500 immediately available. Okay. And then we have broader, broader queue system of two and a half or 3,000 people at the moment. Yeah, awesome. Excellent. And so today, I guess our focus is to talk about remote work and people working from home given you know the lockdowns and everyone having to isolate and whatnot. So what are some of the, the best tools um, you use? And you know, do you want to get, share some tips on, on using those tools? Yeah, so I try to keep things pretty simple. In terms of tools, we have a pretty standard stack. Slack is a, is a big one and email is the other one. But I do things a little bit differently on them, I think. So with Slack, personally, I turn off all notifications on my phone. On the computer, I have notifications on, but I don't always have Slack actually open. Uh, and then I have WhatsApp as an urgent, like a triaging system. So if someone WhatsApps me, then, you know, I know I have to look at it uh, much sooner. And of course, they can also call me. And I've, I've found that that's uh, reduced my stress personally as well. Uh, last year, I think about May or June, I was extremely burnt out. And I remember calling one of my advisors and I was on just the brink of being totally run down. I think it was actually looking back on it. I just moved to the US, which was a time zone shift as well. So I was used to being in Australia, which was kind of the opposite time zone of my team. So I found I had much more time during my day to focus on doing work and not being like feeling like I'm being assaulted with messages all the time. But when I was in the US, obviously being in the same time zone, my advisor told me to take a week off. So I did. And I just read, he told me not to think about work, but inevitably you do. (laughs) And he said, ideas might come. So I just took down notes. And one of those ideas was I just needed to turn off all notifications. And if something was urgent, people could WhatsApp me. Uh, and that's that's kind of stuck and everyone's adapted to it and it's been really, really handy. Email is great, in my opinion, for to-dos. So if someone says I have to do something, I say, would you mind emailing it to me? Sometimes I email things to myself. Uh, with Superhuman, uh, which I found was a great, albeit quite expensive app. And then I let people on our team use their own project management tools. So whether they use Trello or pen and paper, I don't really care. 
I'll log in or check on it if they want me to, but mainly I just ask for them to send me updates on an agreed schedule. So that's kind of the standard stack. That, so do they just uh, uh, send you an email or something? Actually, just over Slack for that type of thing. Again, if it's not urgent and it's not a to-do, then it tends to just be Slack. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I can look at it at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day. It's, it's not time sensitive. Or even if it is, they get to decide if it's urgent or not. And I don't mind if they WhatsApp me. It's not a huge deal. It's not like um, there's a problem with that. But they, everyone knows if it's not if it can be addressed within the day, then Slack is the way to way to go. Adam, so you got me onto Superhuman. Thank you very much. One of the best tools that I've, you know, been been using recently, and, and I'm very happy to pay. What, what is it, thirty dollars US a month for? So yeah. Do you want to tell our audience what you like about Superhuman and how that's sort of helped your workflow or sort of productivity? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that was also out of a similar crisis. I just, you know, I needed new tools and that sort of thing. So Superhuman has been fantastic. What I like about it is that, I mean, this sounds stupid, but it just works well across all my devices. So iPhone, Mac, iPad, although I haven't really been using my iPad much lately, but it just works seamlessly across everything. And what I mean by works is like, they've got features that you can install on Gmail, but that won't necessarily work on Gmail on the iPhone. Uh, and one of them that I use religiously every day is follow-up reminders. So I'll send an email and then I'll basically every email that I send, I assign a follow-up reminder to be it two days, five days a week, whatever it is. Uh, and you can set if it, if the follow-up reminders to send if they don't reply or regardless. And that's been really handy for me because Otherwise, I'd have to just keep adding things to my to-do list, which becomes longer than my arm. And then I have to-do lists that refer to other to-do lists. And that's when you know nothing is going to actually get done. <laughs> so that's been a really nifty feature. I don't really use send later or anything like that. I just, you know, it freaks me out if someone sends me an email before my, send, my, my email is due to send. I think they might have addressed that more recently, but that's not a feature I really use. Now, the second feature I use with Superhuman is uh, actually not one that I wanted to use, but they insisted on doing it with their weird onboarding process, which is a testament to the customer has no idea what they actually want until you tell them they want it. I threw up quite a fuss, <laughs> but I was on the, the call with them and they were looking through my labels in my inbox and they insisted that I do a split inbox with all my labels. Now, the reason this ended up being so important for us is because I actually have a virtual assistant going through my inbox about once or twice a week to clean and triage everything. And I've been doing that for a while. And so basically he goes through and filters out and uh, labels from one to five, one being urgent, five being other, and does that once a week. And Superhuman splits the inbox using those labels. So then, you know, I do my emails as needed. And then once a week I go through one to five and I can actually slam through the whole week's worth of emails in about an hour. <laughs> using that system, which is Amazing. pretty life-changing as well. And yeah. do you find that you get to uh, inbox zero quite frequently throughout the day? Inbox zero is not something I really worry about. I just look through each of those five categories and then occasionally, like after in, in that in that one hour or two hours or whatever I take, I will go through, uh, look at the emails that I actually need to respond to and just start archiving the rest. Occasionally, I'll just declare email bankruptcy if no one has <laughs> uh, followed up with me it is you know, a real thing, a isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, eventually, it's, if, if there hasn't been a follow-up email in a month, sure. it can't be that important. I mean, of course, I skim through it, but, you know, I just feel like sometimes you need your sanity more than anything. <laughs> Great. 
This podcast is sponsored by Parkhound, Australia's parking marketplace. To find a convenient parking space near your home or office. Uh, thanks for sharing about Superhuman and um, recommend it to everyone. I think you might need to get a referral. From, there's no like referral fee or anything like that, but I think you need to get a, someone who's using it to bump you up the list, basically. It's a clever marketing hack that they've uh, implemented. So reach out to any. I think all three of us are using Superhuman yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you mentioned Slack before. I know many of us are probably using Slack, but I'll just share maybe one one plugin that we use for Slack, which has been super powerful. And I don't know if you guys have some as well or integrations or things like that. We use a daily stand-up integration called Geekbot. It's $3 US per user per month. It's the best money that we spend in our business, uh, in my view. We spend, it's for our leadership team, so there's five of us on it. And each morning it prompts us with a bunch of questions and then the whole team see that in a channel and you can put some nice like, you know, gratitudes and a nice message from say the CEO at the end saying, you know, for example, you know, you know, you know, that your work's important and meaningful to the business. You can keep updating these, these messages and our team just love it. It's just really motivating. You can see what everyone's doing each day without feeling micromanaged. So I was just wondering, are there any integrations that you find useful for Slack? That's awesome. That's a good tool. What's, what's it called? Um, Did you say it's Geekbot? Yeah, Geek Geekbot. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, every company is totally different, right? I think, like, especially with remote remote cultures, things are different. I don't know if there's one size fits all. I haven't tried the daily stand-up thing. I find also people sometimes need two or three days to have outcomes delivered. And when dealing with remote, I tend to look at, well, I guess we go mainly asynchronously. So I haven't found too many tools that are useful for supporting asynchronous comms. But maybe a stand-up is a, is a good idea. I'll, I'll look into into doing that, especially as we grow our team. Yeah, we, no, we, I, I, we, we, we do a, um, a Zoom to you. We do a daily stand-up uh, in the afternoon with our, our dev team. And it's, yeah, there's about 10, 10, 15 people on that call. Uh, and sometimes you feel like, Oh, there's a bit of a waste of time, but at, uh, overall, I think it actually works really well because everyone in the team knows exactly what's what's happening at that point in time. And so it's yeah, it's a little bit of over communication, but I think it really adds lots of value. Mm. Okay. In uh, my Adam, previous what? business, I had about probably 15 people as well at, at one point, and I couldn't really. Well, first of all, there was no Slack back then, but also I was studying full time, so I couldn't manage all those people at once. And even if they sent me daily updates, that would have just been a bit overwhelming. So what I did back then was created a little bit of a hierarchy system. And I wrote a blog post on this on my medium, which is basically one person responds to another who responds to kind of another, which seems very antiquated, but I found it to be quite effective, especially on the ops front, maybe not on growth and marketing, but or development, but especially on ops, things just need to be done and they need to be done well. So the sooner you can set up that kind of hierarchy system or someone reviewing other people's work then you can cut out five people's updates and reports and just have one person reporting to you which was pretty useful for me at the time yeah cool makes sense adam what um what other tips or tools um do you have perhaps for team collaboration um yeah well i've got a couple of tips not really too many tools i'm not a, a big believer in you know like i think people just if you've got a problem in your business, there's probably a tool out there for it. So you like use whatever tool really. But I find that when dealing with a remote team, especially, uh, and this can be a big shift for people and not something too easily to get around, but monitoring outputs and not really time. 
I don't know if that's something that you agree with or disagree with as part of your remote teams, but that's been something that has really been something that I've focused on from the outset. And especially, you know, when dealing with freelancers, I also prefer fixed price engagements as opposed to hourly because I find that that aligns incentives closer to the outputs and again, not really time. And Speedlancer likewise is designed around that philosophy because I find that freelancers know how much time they need to spend and they create their own comfortable buffer. And instead of me monitoring the outputs, I mean, instead of me monitoring the time, I can just look at the outputs. I know how much I'm going to spend. And so whether they're they're a team or freelancer, been really important for us as well and just reduces stress for everyone. They're not being micromanaged and looked over their shoulder. Yeah, I think that's a that's a, a really good point. I think, you know, that's the same way I manage. I just manage based on output rather than sitting there and, and micromanaging. It's, that's a, it's a much easier way of managing people. There's another tool that, that um, we use inside of zoom to you that is quite useful. It's called Slight. It integrates with Slack and it's basically like a knowledge um, knowledge bank. And so you can record all your documents in there and so that you've got this full like help manual, but it's, it works really nice. It's got a local tool that you can run on your mobile device or even on your desktop in the same way that Slack sort of operates and just good for documenting all your processes and procedures. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. It's I'm really, a big believer in processes and that everyone should be documenting everything that they do really so that you can scale at any given time. Yeah. What's that, what's that tool called? It's Slight, S-L-I-T-E, and it's really inexpensive. Okay. And yeah, I mean, it just means that when you're onboarding new staff members and there's sort of specific things they need to understand or know, then that all that documentation is there and put together. So cool. One other thing that we've implemented is Donut Time. I think that's the name of the Slack integration, Donut Time. Um, and basically what it does, it's like another bot and it randomly puts two different team members together, like one-on-ones or two-on-ones to basically have a coffee time online or a Donut Time. So they just that's have like awesome. a... And it reminds them and it has reporting and all that sort of stuff. And it's really to try and get that water cooler conversation happening. So it's something that worked really well early on in our business. We sort of let it go for the last little while. But now that we're all working remotely again, we've um, re-implemented it. And we even set like topics each week just to try and get people starting the conversation. Because otherwise it can move quite quickly into talking about work. But, uh, you know, some weeks it'll be, you know, what's your favorite recipe or what are 10 things that you have in common. So we have someone in our team, Emma who, um, who um, puts forward topics. That's cool. cool. Good one. Any other tools before we move on to the next next little bit? I mean, I think there's the obvious tools that people use around sort of Google Apps and you know, we use Google Slides a lot, um, particularly with our marketing team and being able to say these things we want to adjust or change, particularly for presentations. And, you know, using a Google Doc versus using Word is just so much easier, especially for that collaboration where you've got multiple people working remotely on things. And the other one that we use a lot, and I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are already using tools like this, is Trello. Um, we are massive users of Trello boards and just, again, for that team collaboration piece. We actually want to build out a bit of a tool internally based on our technology at the moment. So what we do at Speedlancer is, you know, there's a lot of times where we need to follow up with a freelancer automatically. You know, they go AWOL during a project, so we need to reassign it or flag someone or rate them after a project is done. And I think this can all be very valuable in any remote team environment, even if it's their internal team and not one of our freelancers. So what we plan to build out is sort of a Slack integration where you assign something using our system, uh, which is called SHIDO, stands for shit done, uh, which is what we again use internally, but you would assign the task via SHIDO to your existing uh, team member. It would then spin up a Slack channel 
so that you're both in it and you can discuss that task. And then when it's done, you can click thumbs up or thumbs down uh, and then it will close, close the channel, update Trello to reflect it. But also if your, if your employee is a bit behind on it, it will follow up with them and ask them for an update and uh, a bit of logic around that. I'd be curious for your thoughts maybe another time on that, but that's something that I'm finding is making our process a lot more efficient for our customers. And so I'd like to open that up eventually for other people Amazing. to use. I love the name as well, Shido. <laughs> that sounds really good. So Adam, there's a large movement in remote work, particularly, you know, coming out of Silicon Valley. And I think this is, you know, before the crisis that we're all going, living through at the moment. And I'm just keen to get your views, you know, do you think that the current crisis we're going through will mean that remote work is going to go mainstream, like beyond beyond the crisis? Like say in six, 12 months time, do you think, do you think this is the event that will make remote work, you know, mainstream? Look, I think humans are very naturally collaborative creatures. And I think that remote work should only be part of a business. It shouldn't be the entirety, entirety of, of the business. You know, I wouldn't rule out having a Speedlancer centralized office in the future, although you know, remote seems to be working for us for now. But even so, you know, I moved to the US to be able to have in-person meetings with, you know, the VCs and investors, customers, conferences, uh, potential partnerships. You know, real business I find happens face-to-face and I don't see that going anywhere really. I, I think that this movement or this, this, this crisis will instigate companies implementing remote work policies which should have been done a long time a long time ago i believe in flexibility for people and lifestyle over work and i think that this will empower a lot of people to integrate remote work as part of their lifestyle so maybe people will start working three days a week in the office instead of five you know maybe we'll discover that employee satisfaction and people will start seeing this as an option and asking for it from their from their bosses but that said, you know, if, uh, if this is all in the best case scenario, in the worst case scenario that this virus, you know, becomes a seasonal thing, then then the world will really, really shift. But of course, we'll get through it like anything. Yeah, it's really interesting. I I tend to agree. You know, we're, we're social beings, and some sort of midway point between um, work from home and and you know collaboration in person um, makes sense. But yeah, thank you for sharing your views on that. Um, so what are some of the clever ways that you're seeing businesses leveraging freelancers and platforms like Speedlancer to, I guess, extend their teams or add capability on demand? What, what, what are you seeing? Well, I'm seeing a bit of a bias set because we target, we've got a certain pitch that we send out to potential customers. And so what we're seeing is that companies who don't traditionally use freelancers or don't traditionally have a remote team are now becoming more open to it, but that could potentially be because of the structure and our, and our pitch. You know, we're not really seeking uh, companies who are already outsourcing or using Upwork successfully, although most people who use Upwork successfully still have complaints about Upwork. <laughs> uh, we are more targeting the more traditional types of businesses, which I actually see as a, as a, as a much bigger market, albeit much harder to get right and much harder to get off the ground. But I guess some of the interesting things are that companies seem more and more open to using freelancers to deliver on much more 
creative work, which otherwise you would have expected that they do in-house or through an agency. Uh, but it turns out companies are willing to look into using freelancers for for accelerating their creative endeavors. So, for example, we're talking to a client out over out in uh, Indianapolis, which is a age-old, like 50-year-old family company. Uh, they've got one marketing person they just hired, but that marketing person needs to turn content collateral into a bunch of you know social media snippets and white papers and ebooks and email campaigns and animation videos and stuff like that. So they've come to us because they need to accelerate all of that content production and they just it's not worth their while to do that in-house in, in a new digital world where content is king. So that's a, that's a really big market for us, I think. Yeah, it makes, makes a lot of sense. I think, yeah, particularly like... You know, I, I even think back sort of five years ago when I, you speak to some of these larger companies and they, they you know, don't even, weren't even thinking about using freelancers where it's today. It's like, and if you talk about it, then they're just like, yeah, like that, that's fine that you've got a team over in Manila or wherever it might be. Yeah, they completely expect it now. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about sort of as your business has sort of grown. So how long has Speedlancer been running for now? The current product that we have in the market has been around for about a year. Um, Speedlancer has been around a lot longer, about five years. Okay. It's been quite a journey involving visas and fundraisers and also technology builds. And I think where we're at now is quite an exciting place for a variety of reasons. But yeah, Yeah, I think that's the rollercoaster life of a startup. I think we're just at the beginning. (laughs) And and tell us, uh, share those sort of experiences with some of the other sort of startup founders out there. Like what were were the things that were sort of unexpected or things that really um, threw you off uh, on your course of building this? Yeah, I mean, there's been some really, really crazy ones lately. I will probably share those kind of when I can, but, you know, just kind of fundraising fundraising events that didn't go quite as expected, which I think is an inevitable event for a lot of companies out there. Some other things like, you know, visas and c- customers, you know, pulling out at the last minute, but also, you know, we've done well in migrating everything that we do to recurring business now. We tend not to do much ad hoc work. So I'm, I'm quite proud of where we are at and I'm excited for where we're going to be. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool. And how hard is it for an Aussie to get a visa to live into the US? It depends. If you're employed, it's very easy. You can get an E3 visa, which is basically the Iraq war visa to thank us for our contributions. Australia is the only country in the world that has this visa wow. and it couldn't, pretty much couldn't be easier to get it unless you're self-employed, in which case it's a little bit harder. So I'm on a different visa, which I'm actually in Australia to renew at the moment. So that will be, hopefully, it'll all go to plan. <laughs> yeah, cool. So if you um, have your own company set up in the US, does that mean you would be classed as self-employed? I'm not sure what the official name is. That's just what I'm kind of calling yeah, okay. it. But I think I'm not a lawyer. So there's, there's things like you need a certain number of board members and can control the company and someone needs to be able to fire you if they need to you need to be on a certain salary level uh, again i'm not really sure yeah, okay. exactly yeah it depends on the visa type yeah, as cool. well and so moving on like what do you do so from a daily sort of practice point of view so your daily rituals and sort of managing sort of all your workload i think you mentioned a few things earlier is there anything else that you're sort of doing and sort of how you check your emails those types of things that you found sort of to help you yeah, well, I have been working from home for a while now. I was doing co-working, but then I shifted the co-working to maybe once a week. I wasn't, fi- I wasn't finding those adding much value, and I found I was really distracted and just 
even not even distracted by people, but more by other people's stories. I wasn't finding that I was getting an enormous amount of value. And I found I just eventually got to a stage where I needed less, needed less advice and I needed more time to, you know, do my own research and discovery and goes into what's it, Paul Graham's, one of his essays about startups are very likely to fail. So if you do things the same way as everyone else, then you're also likely to fail. Uh, and I find that that for me resonated with co-working, which is that didn't really work for me. So working from home has been really great, but there's been a few lifestyle changes I've had to do as part of that. So I found that I need to always do a walk before I can start working, which is going to be interesting because we're all, um, I'm actually locked up for two weeks being in the quarantine now. So I can't even go for a walk around the block <laughs> or maybe I can, I don't really know the laws, but I'm probably just going to stay at home for two weeks to be safe. Yeah, I don't think you can Do leave, leave your house. <laughs> What's that? I don't, I don't think you're allowed to leave your house. Yeah, exactly. Although if it's if it's social isolation, you're not seeing anyone. It's just really unclear. But yeah, I'm I'm not going to leave my house. I'm going to do, you know, what's right for the Australian people. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I found typically going for a walk every day, taking some walking phone call meetings, walking two meetings as well is nice if you're in the right area. But yeah, those that I think everyone will have sort of different lifestyle needs that they'll need to adjust to, especially if we do find that we have to go through further isolation periods. Yeah, Adam, thanks for being so open and sharing today. Um, I know it's a difficult time for for everyone, but I think you're really building a great business, and you know I think you're sort of right place, right time, and the sort of freelancer economy is really you know just we're just at the start of a huge emerging trend there. So. Congrats on what you're building. I guess my last question for you for today's episode is like, what what's your big vision? Um, what what will Speedlancer look like in sort of five, 10 years time? Yeah, that's a really good question. I chose Speedlancer as something to work on or continue to work on because uh, it's, it's a vision that I think it's one of the biggest visions that I could think of that also leverages things that I am passionate about. So creating processes, working with people, not eliminating people, making them more efficient using technology, uh, especially in a remote world. This is just something that I think is a endlessly growing vision. For Speedlancer in particular, I believe that freelancers can be used to deliver on a variety of processes, being from ops to sales, to customer support, to development, to uh, content marketing. There's just so many angles, even like diligence workflows and things like that. As soon as you create a really efficient process, on a task level for finding, recruiting, managing freelancers, uh, then you can do much more complex things, which is what we're starting to do, which is creating workflows where the customer doesn't even need to know who they're dealing with necessarily. Of course, we do show them anyway, but ideally the work just gets done. So I'm a believer that we're doing can apply in so many different verticals, like even recruiting. And, you know, I think that this is a really a billion dollar vision, whether it, whether it's me that does it, we, I should say, or someone else. I think that the concept of using freelancers as part of a variety of business processes is really only just beginning and technology is needed to really bridge that gap, which is something that really excites me. And I think it's a billion dollar potential vision for the world. Thanks, Adam. That's an amazing vision, very inspiring. And yeah, great to speak to you again, mate. And We'll catch up socially, uh, maybe remotely, <laughs> yeah. in the next few weeks. 
But um, look, take care. Take care, everyone listening today. Um, we'll be back with another great founder story next week. In fact, I think we've got a VC coming up very soon as well. Our VC episodes have been very popular. So back by demand. Bye for now from Founders On Air. You've been listening to Founders On Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum, a podcast designed for founders by founders to help you scale your business. For show notes and to ask questions for future episodes, go to foundersonair.com. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next time.